All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of What's What VR. Today, we have two guests with us today. We have Liz Betts and Jacqueline Wilson from CASA, which not everybody may not know, but the Capital Area uh, Advocacy, their Child Advocacy how am I, how am I, Association, right? So how are you guys today? We're good. Oh, doing great. Doing well. Thanks for that. Awesome. Well, Liz, what do you first? Let's kind of run through some intros and kind of where's everybody, you know, sitting. Where do you? What do you do over there? For anybody who does not know, I'm the executive director. Okay. So, and so I get to oversee everything. It's you know, so you're taking out trash, you're cleaning up the refrigerator on Friday okay. afternoons. <laughs> And approving budgets and going to board meetings, right? So, Jacqueline, what is it? Uh, where do you fit over there? I am the program program manager. I pretty much oversee everything with uh, recruiting and training and supervising our volunteers. Okay, so we've got two important people here that make this organization run. And. Liz, since being the executive director, give me or tell me for those of us who do not know what is Casa. What is what is it you guys are doing on a daily basis? What is what's the mission? Well, Casa stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. I wasn't I didn't quite hear you when you talked about the acronym, but that's what the acronym is: Court Appointed Special Advocates. The advocates are community volunteers, as Jacqueline mentioned. We have to recruit them and screen them and train them before they're sworn in by a juvenile court judge and appointed to a child abuse case. And their job is to advocate for the best interests of these children who have been abused or neglected and removed from their home because of the abuse or neglect. And that system, that foster care system and child protection system, it's kind of complicated and children uh, sometimes can get lost in the system. And that's why they need that advocate there to make sure that their case is always being watched by the court and by child protection. And it's always moving forward. The purpose is a safe, permanent home. We don't want kids staying in foster care forever. They need a permanent home. And that's what CASA volunteers make happen. And, and to make sure, I guess, to kind of draw that distinction. So this is, it's not the foster, foster care is a whole nother system all together. So when you're talking, you know, volunteers, we're not looking for people to volunteer to bring, you know, a child or children into their home. This is, you're the advocate in the courtroom for the child, correct? Correct. Correct. In fact, we have a rule that our CASA volunteers cannot bring the children into their homes. It's, it's, a, uh, we definitely set some boundaries for our advocates as they do this work. You know, and the children have a court-appointed attorney, and they have a, a caseworker from the Department of Children and Family Services, and so sometimes I'm asked, why do they need another person involved? Doesn't that just complicate things further? And, and it doesn't. Uh, the, the problem is those professionals, the foster care professionals, and even the lawyers, they have huge caseloads. That's just how the system works. They have huge caseloads, and it's really hard for them to pay close attention to every child they're assigned to take care of. And the CASA volunteers only assigned to one case at a time. It may not be one child. It may be a family or a group of siblings. But they become the expert on that child and that family and what's best for that child. And then they tell and, the court that information. Exactly. Tell me, what is that when we say, you know, the advocate for the court, you know, we've got a social worker, you know, that we've said, we've got an attorney, you know, what is it that this volunteer's doing or advocating like you know for somebody you know for you guys in the weeds you know it seems you know there I've got a 
decent idea, you know, of what it is for, but for the person who has absolutely no idea, like, is there, there's not an advocate box, you know, in the courtroom, you know, is it, it's, are they sitting with the child or are they, you know, do they get them what, like, what is that role look like, you know, in a courtroom setting? And then also there's connections outside the courtroom. So kind of what, well, the work really break happens outside, yeah, the work really happens outside the courtroom. Uh, we just go into court to tell the judge about the work that the advocate has done. So a CASA volunteer through that court order has uh, the authority and the right to go and talk to all kinds of professionals about the children. So they talk to everyone in the children's life, the abusive parent, the current foster parent. They talk to uh, mental health providers or medical providers. They talk to the school, to the child's teacher, or maybe a guidance counselor. They're trying to get as much information as possible about that child's history and current situation. And about the family, what led to them come, the child coming into care, and what can be done, what kind of services are needed to help this family at this time, and specifically to help the child. And so that's what I mean when the lawyer, and I say the lawyers and the child protection workers do not have the time to do that. That's what a CASA volunteer does. Once they gather all that information, they write a, a report, a written report is submitted to the court prior to the court hearing to give the judge the information. CASA, the first CASA program, which was in Washington State, was created by a judge. He felt like he needed better information and more information before he made rulings about these cases that would impact the lives of these children forever. That's exactly where you, you hit it, and I thought I was going to kind of draw a connection there, but it's the child is not on trial. The child didn't do anything. The child it's, is the victim. The child is the victim. The child didn't do anything. And so the attorney is there, you know, for someone else, you know, right. You know, there are the parent or not that attorney, but that attorney's there, you know, they're trying to figure out what happened, you know, what to do with the kid, but because of someone else's actions, it affects the kid, you know? And so that's where you well, the need child to has an attorney. The child has a court-appointed attorney who just doesn't have the time to have out-of-court contact with the child. So that's what the, the attorneys who represent children here in the EBR, they often refer to CASA as the, their eyes and ears because they don't have time to go out and visit with people and get that information and follow up on things because they're in court all day. So as a volunteer, you've gone through some training, I guess, to know what to do, how to do it, because you just can't go walk up and start asking questions about other people's kids. You know, there's got to be yeah. something, right? You know, and is that, Jacqueline, is that where you guys jump in? Is that the programming, you know, as far as, is that the education and the training and how all that stuff fits? We have a pretty extensive um, screening process. You have to go through an interview process. There are seven um, distinct background checks that you go through before you can become a CASA volunteer. And there's also a 32-hour training course that you go through. Even having gone through all that, uh, once you finish and you're sworn in as a, as a CASA volunteer, you're assigned to a staff person, which is um, their title is Advocate Supervisor. And that staff person stays with that uh, volunteer while they're working their case. So they become kind of uh, a mentor and a guide to an advocate who's working on a case. So you're never alone as a volunteer out working because 
Um, one, these situations are, are much too critical and important to just, you know, put somebody out there without any support and guidance. Um, but we have a, a pretty amazing staff. I think our most junior staff person has 10 years of CASA experience behind his belt working within the child welfare system. So you have all this expertise behind you as a volunteer to call on if you um, run upon a situation where you're not sure where you need to go or what you need to do next. We have a lot of experience um, and knowledge and background that you can tap here in the office on what it is that you need to do next or where to go. There's very few situations that we haven't um, experienced in the past that we can't give you some guidance um, to go forward and what to do next on your particular case. Now, is there a skill set that someone needs? You know, is it, you know, are we looking or is it just, you know, pass background checks, you know, and show up, you know, and, you know, have a passion for it? Or is it, no, we're looking for somebody who's got, you know, that's in maybe the legal profession or someone who's in, you know, psychology or someone, does it matter, you know, any of that? Or is it just, we're just looking for, you know, people? Well, you know, sometimes if we have somebody who comes from a social work or a mental health or a legal background, we have to uh, get them to step back from that role a little bit because they're coming in as the advocate. So we don't um, necessarily want those uh, folks from that experiential background, but we'll take them. <laughs> uh, we want someone who is committed, um, who is going to take the time to really get to know these children and spend time with them to take notes that they, they're going to be consistent and documenting what it is that they learned through the course of their work. And they are going to work with us to write a court report because each time you go to court, which is approximately every six months, you need to turn in a detailed court report of your activity and what you recommend on behalf of that child um, at that point. Um, and just actually do the work. So we need folks um, that are interested in putting in the time and doing the work um, and that are honest about whether or not they have the time to do it. Sometimes we get folks who are interested in, in doing this, but they don't. it's not the right time in their life. Um, maybe um, they've got a lot going on with career or family. Um, and sometimes I'll interview them. They'll come in and tell me what's going on, and I'll ask them, is this the right time? And they're like, maybe not. Um, and they'll come back five, six, seven years down the road. A lot of our volunteers, once they get involved, are pretty um, committed. In fact, uh, we have one volunteer who's been doing this for 17 years. Wow. Now, when we say make recommendations, and I don't mean to make light of this, so I'm going to go on two completely different ends of the spectrum. Is it recommendations to, you know, child should go with parent A, parent B, or is it recommendations on Eggos or cereal, you know, for breakfast? Like, is it a little bit of everything? It, it, is, a, it is a little bit of everything. Uh, for instance, it could be recommendations related to school. If a, a, a child is struggling in school and there are services that the volunteers discovered um, that they feel like they need to be recommended for the, for the child, they can make a recommendation to the court that those services be ordered and or that at least the judge order um, an entity to look into having those services put in place. It can be related to um, other types of services such as mental health. 
um, counseling. It can be related to services that the volunteer feels that the biological family needs in order to address the issue that brought the child into care so that the child can safely be returned home. Um, if we are further along in the case and the parent or parents have not been able to fix whatever the issues are, we may be at a point where the volunteer makes a recommendation that the child um, is placed in guardianship or custody of a relative, or even that the court consider freeing the child for adoption so that the child can be permanently placed with a different family. Um, so it can, it can be something small um, or something incredibly um, life altering. Uh, for the child. It can, so it, it runs the gamut, uh, if you will. It's never anything um, trivial um, and that I can, you know, think of that we put, you know, we're not going to address that in, in a recommendation, um, but it, it runs the gamut, you know, whatever the volunteer feels needs to happen to improve that child's situation. And the primary focus is moving that child to permanence, because what we know is that children don't um, do well in foster care because it's a temporary situation. And if they don't know um, where they're going to be sleeping tomorrow night or next week or next month, they can't focus on everything else they need to do to grow and develop healthily or in a healthy manner. So we need to get those kids moved um, to a place where they know is their forever home um, as quickly as we can do so safely. And that's the primary focus um, of CASA. The, the hope is always that it can be with their biological family, that the system can address whatever the issues are that cause the child to come into the foster care system. But if the family is not able to address those issues in a reasonable amount of time, then we need to start looking at other options for that child because two, three, four, five years in the foster care system um, can be as damaging or more damaging than the abuse or neglect that that child suffered to come into the foster care system. So kind of reminded me of the expression, you know, from a, the child's point of view, you know, the advocates there because the child, you don't know what you don't know. You know, as far as the child knows, this is normal. This is just the way it is. And you've got an advocate to stand there and say, no, this isn't. This is, we need to fix this. You know, this needs to be addressed. Or here's the concerns, you know, that we have. This is what should be happening. And this is what's not happening. And to be able to bring those up and to cause some action. Sounds like extremely important. A big load. So, Liz, tell me. It's one of the most serious. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say it was one of the most profound volunteer experiences that you could you could ever have. It, it definitely has an impact. And what is I guess last question, real quick on that. You you'd mentioned you know court reports every you know you've got to have one about every six months. So they want something when you're. This isn't volunteering on a Saturday afternoon you know, and you show up and you get the t-shirt and you put it on and you go, this is, you know, you've got 32 hours of training. You've got seven background checks. This is the real deal. You know, kind of the Olympics of volunteering, it sounds like, you know, what is that timeline usually, you know, when you're looking for volunteers, what do you say, you know, Hey, this is what, the, this is the time commitment that we're looking for or potential could be obviously everything's going to be different. Um, on average, our volunteers spend about 10 to 15 hours a month on their cases. 
Um, it, and it depends on the, the posture of the case when they, when they get that particular case. Um, some volunteers want to know how soon will I be going to court? Well, it depends on the case I assign you to. Um, there have been instances where we assign it and next week they're in court. Of course, we don't expect a court report if you've just got assigned um, that particular case, but that gives you a great opportunity to really kind of uh, get to know your case fairly quickly. Um, because you're going straight um, to court with about 10 to 15 hours a month um, on your particular case and, and kind of going back to where you said this is, you know, an Olympics um, of volunteering. Um, what's really important about CASA volunteering is there is no backup. You are the volunteer uh, for your case. So there is uh, no, no slacking, no not doing what you need to do because there's nobody to kind of uh, pick up behind you if, if you don't. Um, you're, you're kind of out there, not on your own, because you've got staff support, but uh, it's if you want something that's going to have an impact and that's really serious and that you feel like you're, you're doing something, this, this really is it. You're, you're out there actually making a difference. So Liz, I think one of the most important things our CASA volunteers do, you know, this is pre-COVID, but they are required to have face-to-face -face contact with the children they're assigned to every 30 days. So this is not a phone-it-in kind of thing. This is not to call, you know, a foster parent and say, how's he or she doing? They have to have that face-to-face -face contact. Obviously, when COVID hit EBR, we had to revisit that, and right now our volunteers are not allowed to see the children face-to-face, -face. but we... Uh, have taught everybody to teleconference and say they are able to at least see the child. But that is something that's really at the core of being a CASA volunteer is that face-to-face -face contact every 30 days. And what is it, where is that from a volunteer standpoint? You know, has COVID's impacted everybody's, you know, from budgets to people to, you know, everything across the board, is it, are you guys actively looking still or is the volunteers been, have they been able, you know, I can only imagine, you know, you, you get COVID if you're a volunteer, you know, that's probably got to put a damper on some things. And so. We are, we have not allowed face-to-face -face contact with our volunteers and children to, for volunteers to have face-to-face -face contact with the children they serve or the foster families since the shutdown in March. We have not allowed it. We have had a lot of conversations about it because we don't like it. But we need to keep um, our volunteers safe. We need to keep the families that we serve and the children that we serve safe. Uh, we are, Jacqueline and I, and one other staff person is here at the office. The remainder of our staff uh, is working from home. The court hearings are being held via teleconferencing. So, you know, Jacqueline mentioned the longevity of our staff, and it, it's not just their longevity. They are so committed to this mission and so passionate about this mission. And we, we had to very quickly figure out how to work remotely so that our services never stopped for these kids. Because during a challenging time, kids need advocates more than ever. School closed down. That was one of the first things that happened. So a lot of families, you know, school is their childcare because their children are in school. They don't need other childcare while they're at work. That was gone. Uh, two meals a day were gone for some families, for most families. So we, I'm really proud of our staff because very quickly we were able to adapt and start to, and had to learn quickly how to advocate during a pandemic. Kids needed how, voices more than ever. How has that is from a, 
you know, you guys are, we've talked about it. I think we've touched it here there, but, you know, from a nonprofit volunteer drive, you know, you've got, normally you guys have some fundraisers, you know, we've taken part in a couple of them, you know, over the years, everybody's just, everything's gotten squashed, you know, for everybody this year, you know, how is that, you know, is the fundraising, you know, it's, I think I might know the answer to that. Yeah, it's a tough climate for that. So uh, some of the people listening may know of our annual fundraiser called Casas for Casa. It's a playhouse fundraiser held in July. We have a big kickoff event at the Renaissance Hotel, and then we have a, a beautiful playhouse. It's usually valued around $20,000 out at the Mall of Louisiana for about a month during the summer where you can buy raffle tickets. So that, that revenue comes in from a lot of different sources. The, the kickoff event, there's an auction that night. We have sponsorships. We sell the raffle tickets. We usually raise $120,000, $25,000. Uh, we had to cancel the event this year. So that income did not happen. Um, we are trying to do some other things, but it probably will not replace um, that entire amount. We were very fortunate to receive a disaster grant. The Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation of Louisiana went into uh, went to work very quickly trying to figure out how to help the communities in Louisiana, which were which was every community impacted by COVID. And so we were very fortunate to receive a fifty thousand dollar grant. So we have we have figured out this year we are good uh, for now. But there's the future. Casa Casa needs to keep going. And uh, we've not had to lay anyone off and we've continued program operations, but we're coming upon that critical time where we need other donors and new donors to come in and help pick up, you know, some of the funding that we've lost. And every little bit helps. You know, sometimes people feel like, well, I can't write a big check. Um, but it just, little checks are okay. It just takes more people involved to get to the goal. So don't ever think that a donation is not uh, big enough, that it's not worth the trouble. It is. And that's how nonprofits survive is adding up all those small donations. Absolutely. And that's something, you know, we just talked about it. It is a big commitment, you know, to actually be the volunteer. Maybe you can't be that volunteer, but maybe you can, you know, help in this way. You know, if there's ever a time, you know, we're hearing it, from all of our nonprofit, what I don't think a lot of people in our community realize is we always hear, you know, that there's this nonprofit and then there's this gala going on. And they would, I think sometimes I was trying to describe this to somebody the other day. It's like the nonprofits, you know, most people, you know, recognize the name, they recognize the event, but they don't recognize the work that's happening underneath in our community that's needed. You don't have for-profit businesses doing this stuff. You know, it's not, you know, you're not going to be able to go start a business doing what you guys do and expect, you know, some child to pay for services. You know, right? it's just not going to happen. It has to happen this way. And if these things, the, it's the butterfly effect, you know, it ripples, you know, through the community, through the system, if we can't make these things happen. So, you know, with that, you know, so it's, if you've got the, you know, the heart, you know, to serve, serve, if you've got the wallet, you know, to support, you know, let's help, you know, let's do what we can there. Um, always like, you know, the name of the show is What's What BR. I always like to say, you know, as we kind of get towards here, you know, what is it that you would want anybody and everybody to know? You know, if we could somehow force everybody in town to get, you know, to listen to the next, you know, 60 seconds, what is it that we want them to know? I always tell people there's there's three things I want everybody in our community that we serve, which is East Baton Rouge Parish. There's three things I want everybody to know. 
One is we, we're a community-based organization, so we can't do what we do without your help. So get involved. Um, that's the first thing. Become a volunteer. Uh, if you can't do that, if you don't have the time or the inclination to do that or you feel like it's not a good fit for you, we're not saying this is for everybody. It is absolutely right, Jacqueline. It is absolutely not for everybody. Um, then consider a donation because that's a way you can support a volunteer who's doing this work. And then third, and um, but not least, is uh, be aware of what we do and spread the word and value what we do. Understand the value that these children need advocates. So I've been here a long time and so many people say, I had no idea. I had no idea there was a need for this service that CASA is doing. So uh, be aware of what we do and spread the word and, and understand the value of what we do in our community. So uh, I think you kind of answered the second one. My, usually my follow-up is, is what can we do to help? You know, and I think you've answered that is let's get the word out. Let's talk about it. Let's have it in conversation. It doesn't take long. It could be one, you know, if you're listening to this, just mention it to, you know, two people and see what they say. You know, have you heard of CASA? Have you ever considered? And if that just kind of works its way through, I think we can, we can get the message out there to enough people. So. Well, one good thing with the pandemic is we had to adjust very quickly with our training. So it is 100% online. Uh, so that you can do it at your own convenience so you don't have to come into the office or be around other people. Um, so that's the biggest thing that I would uh, put out there. And you know what they say, Brandon, if you want something done, ask a busy person. So maybe this is something for you. That's, I know, right? That's, and maybe <laughs> this is the time to do it. Maybe it's, you know, I hate to say, you know, take advantage of it, but it's like trainings online. I have to do all the interaction online, courts online, everything's online. So there's really not an excuse. You know, you can't blame it on traffic. You don't have time to get across town to go to training, right? <laughs> so, well, look, guys, I appreciate you coming on. I'd love for you to come back, you know, tell a story, you know, kind of how is it progressing, you know, what we can do. This obviously is a need that's going to continue to be there. It's not good. This isn't one of those we need to, you know, volunteers to drain, the, you know, to dig the drainage ditch. Once it's done, it's over with. This is going to continually, you know, happen. And we need to spread that word and have people know about it and volunteer and, you know, help and do everything they can. So I appreciate everything you guys are doing. So we've got, uh, for anybody that knows, we're... No, thank you guys. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, look, y'all have a great week. And if we can help you with anything, let us know. Thank you as well.